Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. ACF Church, I'm so glad to be with you today. I just want to thank you for making time to be with us as a church, uh, as a family. If you're in an ACF outpost or wherever you may be tuning in here uh, today, we just want you to know you're part of our family. Um, If you're watching on the side of the road somewhere, on your phone, on your device, or you're part of an outpost, we just want you to know we are are in this together. We're a family together, and we're on this interesting journey together as a church. And if you're new to ACF, uh, we are walking into a conversation today about politics and our faith. And so uh, nothing better to bring us together than to talk about politics as a church. Now, some of you, maybe you're a little nervous about that. Some friends of mine were just saying their hands were sweating as they were watching the message last week, and I totally get it. But listen, this is stuff that's going to actually change the way that we respond to the world and how we uh, act with each other. And so we need to talk about these things because it directly impacts our influence on the world today as the church. A couple things real quick for us as an ACF family, just for you to know as we're moving forward. First, November 2nd, okay, so the night before the election, we're going to meet together in this building for a night of prayer and live worship. And so if you're one of those people that's been like, man, I can't wait until we get back to in-person gatherings, and I just really miss live worship, this is your chance. This is your night. So November 2nd, 7 p.m. here at the church. We want to see you here. We're going to pray for uh, our government officials. We're going to pray over the the vote, and we're going to just pray that God works through this crazy election season uh, that we're in the middle of. And so don't miss that. And then moving forward into December, we are so excited. We are putting on a Christmas light drive-through here at ACF Church. You're going to get more details as we move forward. But what you need to know is we need you. We're going to serve our city. We're going to get them on the property. We're going to have a great time here uh, together. And so this is a chance for you to engage yourself and be part of serving our city together. And the last thing, listen, we're going to do Christmas Eve gatherings live and in person. We've got four of those coming up. And again, we need you to lean in and be part of what we're doing as a church. What I know about COVID is COVID has made us consumers, hasn't it? I mean, this is really how uh, we act at this point is like everything's out there to consume. And I'll tell you, I'm with everybody else. I've done a lot of purchasing, just getting on Prime right now to deal with the isolation. Uh, I was reading an article this week that uh, said that Amazon was up over 40% in their second quarter this year. Lots of people are on Prime right now. We are consumers right now. But one thing about ACF Church you need to know is that we are contributors and not consumers. That's what we're about. That's our culture. 
members. We're not here to just consume and take. We want to be part of the movement of God's kingdom. And so I want to invite you to just keep your ears open. There's going to be chances for you to lean in and be part of what God is, is doing as we move forward. And then in January, we are starting up a live gathering here at ACF. And so there'll be three ways for you to connect either at our online campus or at an outpost or at our in-person gathering here at the church. And so we're really excited about launching that option as well in January. But here is our series. We are in the separation of church and hate. And hate's kind of a strong term. In our outpost last week, we, we wrestled with that term. None of us want to be identified with the term hate. I mean, we don't want to be known as people that hate. And, and, and many times I think I make excuses for it. I would say, well, I don't really hate somebody. But maybe I withhold my love from them. And the the conversation last week that that we had in our outpost kind of went like this. If if I'm a dad who has a son, I'd say, well, I I don't hate my son. Of course I don't. But I withhold my love from my son. At what point does my son feel like I hate him? At what point does that lack of love or withholding my love intentionally from him mean it just feels like hatred? And I wonder for the world around us in a time of isolation and turmoil, you might be saying, well, I'm not really doing anything hateful, but are you withholding your love for the world? And if you do, at what point does the world say, I just think the church hates us? I don't think they love us. I think they, they hate us right now. Some of you are wondering, why would we do a series about politics? Great question. Uh, once again, this is a, it's a difficult topic, but it is something going on right now. But as I was studying the, studying the word politics this week, uh, it's actually in the Greek, it, it, the word politics is politica, which simply means the affairs of the cities. So one thing we know as a church is that we're about the affairs of our city. We care a lot about what happens in Eagle River, what happens in Anchorage, in Wasilla, in, in the valley, and in our state. We care so much about it. And so uh, I, I know maybe you're a person who's like, I don't dabble in politics. I don't care a whole lot about this stuff. But I just want you to know, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian, one of the things that you must care for and care about are the affairs of the city, are what happens uh, to the lives of the people that live around us. And the prophet Jeremiah, he spoke um, uh, from God to the elders of the church during a time of great political polarization. And here's what he says in Jeremiah 29.7. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Think about that for a second. Seek the welfare of the city. You, you, you must care about what's happening in the world around you as God's people. You care about what their life is like, what, what's going on in, in the community that we live in, what's happening to the people that we love. You must care about those things. And I love the thing that he says is that as you seek the welfare of those around you, you're actually seeking your own welfare. And so that's our motivation. It's not just to get into the political scene to create more division. No, we actually want to bring people together, bring the church together so that we can seek the welfare of the city that we live in. So I've entitled today's talk, Peaceful Politics. (laughs) I don't know if that's what you've been feeling lately. That's not what I've been feeling. Not a whole lot of peace going on in the politics of our day. 
Uh, we are called the United States of America. I think uh, the joke has been going around that we're more like the divided states of America. And, and that certainly is true on my Facebook feed. It's true on my Twitter feed. It, it's true in the relationships that I have, the conversations that I've had around campfires this summer. There's so much division right now over so many different things. In fact, I saw this picture. If you guys had put that up real quick, this is just maybe an image that describes the division that we feel, even neighbors right next door. The, the first thing I think is a house divided cannot stand, right? Even right next door to each other in one house under one roof, we see people with two very different political views. How have you been divided lately? Where have you seen tension in your relationships lately? How have you seen there, there be this divide growing between maybe uh, you and family members lately? Are there people that you just don't talk to right now and you're like, hey, I will catch you on November 4th. But until then, I'm just kind of canceling the relationship and then we'll catch up from that point. Well, I think we're all tempted to do that. I think maybe we feel like we're people of, uh, of unity until we get around people who think differently than we do. And so here's maybe a test for you. Um, think about the people in your life. Do they vote generally the same way you do? Now you might say, oh, I know somebody at work that votes differently or uh, somebody maybe that I, that I see occasionally, but I, I want you to think about the people that you have in your house right now, the people that you invite over for dinner, the people that you want to spend time with this fall. Are they people that think different than you? Well, I'll be honest. Most of the people I want to hang out with think like I do. And so we can get this, this kind of fake sensation that we're people of unity, because we're surrounded by people that think just like we do. Well, the church is to be different in the world. The church is this diverse and beautiful thing. This group of people like, like none other in society from different backgrounds and different places and different political views that come together under one heading is the family of God. This doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And so it's a really beautiful thing when it's working well. I want you to open up a Bible or download the ACF Church app real quick uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read this text written by this guy named Paul. And, and, and Paul, he's one of these guys that before he knew Jesus, he just hated Christians. So if you're one of those people that's like, I think Christians are weird. I think they're judgmental. I don't want to be around them. You would have loved Paul before he knew Jesus. He felt the same way. And he's actually speaking to the church, again, in, in a very divided culture, uh, with divided people coming into the family of God. And he's telling them, here's why you exist. And, and that's something that we all need to think about right now, maybe more than ever, uh, working through COVID and, and trying to figure out how do we move forward as a, as a church, as a, as a people? There's this question that's floating out there, why do we exist? Why are we doing what we're doing? And Paul's going to answer that question right here. Like, what do you exist to do as the church during this time of turmoil and division in the culture? He says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We'll come back to that in a second. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to think about what's being said right there. This is a completely revolutionary and different way of seeing the world. That the church is supposed to look so completely different than the world around it. The translation of this could simply be, hey, you used to see people in categories. You used to see them maybe for, for their mistakes or for what they've done that's wrong or, or how they offend you. But now you see people as God sees people because you are the family of God. You see, the Roman Empire should have really ended Christianity. It should have been the end of this, this small movement of believers. It should have wiped it off the face of the earth. But instead... This movement of Christians, this small group of people actually transformed the Roman Empire from the inside out. It changed the way the city ran and the city, the way the city thought and the way the city acted. It changed everything about it. How in the world could this this small movement of people have made such a dramatic difference in the culture of its day? Well, here's one word that would describe how they made a difference. And the word is this, epidemics. Epidemics. History shows there were three major epidemics, or it could be even a few more, that went through the city and and through uh, the countryside. And so as these epidemics hit, what happened is the Romans, they left town. And you know who was left? The Christians. In fact, Alvin Schmidt describes it in his book, How Christianity Changes the World. He says it this way. When epidemics broke out, the Romans often fled in fear and left the sick to die without care. The Romans saw helping a sick person as a sign of human weakness, whereas Christians, in light of what Jesus taught about helping the sick, believed they were not only serving the sick, but also serving God. Thus, Christianity filled the pagan void that largely ignored the sick and dying. So think about this. Think about what happened in that moment. What looked like weakness was actually winning. The Christians looked weak. They stuck around with the sick and the dying and the broken. But that actually was what changed the political and the cultural landscape of their day. Because they actually looked at people as image bearers of God, whether they were sick or dying or infectious or whatever it was. And so here we find ourselves in a pandemic, in a world that's that's lost in fear. And so we have to ask ourselves once again, where do you find the Christians? What are they doing? Are they running for their own safety? Are they out there just consuming for themselves? Or are they the kind of people that are serving others, seeking the welfare of their city? ACF, we want to be those people. We want to be the kind of people that change the landscape of our community by the way that we serve and by the way that we love. What looked like weakness was actually winning. And what happened was, uh, after the, the epidemics were over, the Romans came, came back, right? They came back to take power and to, to take over. And the Christians, you know what? They had authority. Because they had served and, and loved people in their time of need, the Romans no longer had authority in their own cities. Now, now the Christians had authority because of the way that they served. They had unified around one central vision to love the world as Christ first loved them. In 1 Corinthians 9 19, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
Listen, if you're a church person, you're watching this. If you're not a Christian, you can kind of like zone out for just a second. But if you're a Christian, we need to love people through their offenses instead of being so offended. One thing that the church is known for, and I just got to be real with you, the church is known for being people that, that sometimes get offended by so many different things. And we spend so much time being offended by things that we don't know how to love people through their offenses. And I've experienced this as a pastor. I've seen the division. I've offended a lot of people. I'm sure by the end of this sermon or this series, I'll get a couple emails. You can email me at josh at acfak. I'm just kidding. Don't email me. But, but this offense, it, it just goes everywhere. We just get offended by so many things. I remember a few years ago, during the last election season, we were preaching through a series not about politics, and uh, one of our tech people had actually built a stage design, a lighting design uh, with some red lights because it fit with the backdrop. And, and later that day, I got word that somebody walked out of the church and they said, I'm never going back to that church because they were push, pushing a Republican agenda in church because we had red lights on the, church, on the stage of the church. I mean, this is how we get sometimes. We're just looking for something to be offended by. And, and if that's you today, man, I've got all kinds of ammunition for you. Uh, there's so much for you to be offended by if you want to be offended. But this is what we do. We want to be divided over the smallest of things. And these small things can actually keep us from the mission that God wants us to be in. And so life creates division. Different opinions create division, right? A pandemic creates division. So sprinkle on, you know, an election season and we have a powder keg of offense and of division coming at us. I just uh, spent about a week with some pastors uh, from around the country that uh, I just love and guys that I'm learning from and learning with. And uh, we went around the room and just prayed for each other. And, and one of the things that was really consistent as we all talked about where we're at is that everybody in the room from around the country said, people are getting so offended right now, so upset. And I've heard it all too, whether it's about the pandemic or it's about, you know, the the election. People get offended by all kinds of things. I've heard people saying, I'm not coming back to church until everybody wears masks. I've heard people saying, I'm not coming back to church until nobody's wearing a mask, right? I've heard people saying, hey, if you wear a mask, you're giving in to the liberal agenda, right? So if you, even if you wear a mask, you're going to offend somebody at this point, not even if you tell somebody else to. Listen, we've got to get our offenses under control so that we can stay on mission as a church. And here's what I've learned. After years in the church, knowing lots of different people, is that our offendability often reveals our maturity. Here's what I mean by this. Is that when we are mature in Christ, when we know who we are, when we know who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world— the big picture about how God's kingdom is advancing, whether we do it right or not, God's kingdom is coming no matter what, this actually ends up diffusing what would otherwise offend us. And mature believers have such a deep understanding of these things that it keeps them from being offended by most things. And so I wonder for you, are you somebody who's easily offended, easily divided right now? And if that's you, I just want you to know that that can be actually like a litmus test for your spiritual maturity. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, uh, the early church, maybe they were connected and unified, but Brian, we're dealing with bigger differences today than they were. And I just promise you that that's not the case. 
That the early church, you've got Jews and and Gentiles and people of different racial uh, backgrounds and people of different political backgrounds and, and, and people of different social and economic backgrounds. You had everybody as this melting pot that was called the local church. And there was this explosion of growth as they served one another, as they served their city, and as they loved others in the name of Jesus through a political division that was going on, the church exploded with growth. And I believe right now, listen, ACF, that God is preparing us for that. God's preparing not just ACF, but the church global to be the people who said, hey, we're not leaving when it gets tough. We're not going to run from the sick and the dying and the hurting or those who disagree with us. We're going to run right toward them and love them in the name of Jesus. And through that, people are going to see who Christ really is. The one who runs towards the lost, towards the broken, toward the needy, not from them. Praise God. Praise God Jesus did that for us. Praise God he didn't run from us when we were broken and needy. Praise God he didn't run from us when we hated him and disagreed with the things of, of the faith. Praise God that he was willing to lean in when we were leaning out. That's the God that we love and that's the God that we want to unify around. You see, the one thing that I think could describe the early church is they were a people of culturally disruptive unity. Culturally disruptive unity. It actually like disrupted the way that the city worked because they were so unified around one simple vision. And here's how this works in our culture. We may think, well, I'm going to go change the world because I'm just going to love Jesus and I'm going to love the people around me. And that's a really good thing. Maybe you're caring well for your coworkers or, uh, you know, the people in your life, your family members. And, but here's what you know, you need to know is that there's somebody in your life and they know that you're a Christian. They just think you're a freak of nature. They don't know what to do with you. They're like, oh, you love us? Well, that's cool, but, but you're one of maybe a few like you. I mean, there can't be other Christians like, you're kind of normal and I actually want to spend time with you and I don't feel judged when I'm around you. I feel like you actually care for me and you, you serve our family. Like, that's amazing, but you're one of a kind. You're a freak of nature, right? There's, you have a friend that feels that way. But imagine that person gets around your outpost. They get around your, your, your church family and, and they see, oh, there's, there's other people that actually kind of care for the world. There's other people who aren't here to just judge the world, but to to actually care for people's needs. And and there's other people who are just seeking after the heart of God and the welfare of their city. And, And imagine how motivating and inspiring it might be. You see, seeing one person like that, it's just kind of disarming. It's like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. But when you see tons of people, hundreds of people serving in the name of Jesus, it is disruptive. It can change the landscape. It's why every year we do something called Impact Eagle River where we shut down our morning services and we we change oil for uh, people who are uh, adopting children or special needs families or uh, people who are fostering uh, children. And so we go and serve our city all over the place. Hundreds of people mobilized in the name of Jesus, which if if you're wondering what happened to that, um, COVID happened to that. And this is actually going to happen in the spring of 2021. We're going to move that event. So it's coming up. Don't worry, it's coming. But what I love about it is every time we do impact, it makes an impact. People walk away talking about it around the, the water cooler the next day. It, it makes the news almost every single year. Our city is, is shaken up by a group of people who are culturally disruptive in their unity around one vision. Let's serve the way that Jesus first served us. I think one of the most uh, disunifying thing that I, things that I see in the world around us and, and in the church today is, honestly, if we're honest about our hearts, let's start within our hearts, 
I, I think we still sort of feel like the power structure is still up for grabs. I'm not sure we completely believe uh, that, that Jesus is actually Lord today. And what that leads to is a certain amount of fear because whoever gets voted into office, man, we're just like, man, my future is in their hands. I just want you to know that is not what we believe as the church. Our future is not in the hands of a politician or of whoever gets voted in as presidents. Our future is in the hands of Jesus. David Platt, he says it this way. This world is not a democracy. This world is a monarchy and God is the king. I love that. Sure, we may use language about our rights and we may even compose and ascribe to a bill of rights, but the reality is simple. Hear this, God has all the rights and we are subject to him. God's got the rights. God's in power. Jesus is the one who ultimately sets the course of our future. If you believe that, doesn't the fear start to reduce in in your heart? And don't you become a little bit more open to those who might disagree with you or, or even the potential of somebody getting voted into office that, that you may not agree with? When you believe that God has all the rights, doesn't that sort of ease your soul, give you a little peace, kind of lower the level of anxiety? I mean, some of you just need to calm down. You just need to relax a little bit and believe that today God has all the rights. And if God has all the rights, here's what that means. We are simply servants to the world. If God is the king, then we are the king's servants. And the best way to serve the king is to serve people, to serve the ones that he loves, is to be caring for the world around us. And when you stop being so offended, when the, the tension lowers in your heart, what you start to see is that we actually have a lot in common with people. You start to notice that, man, the people that I think I have so many differences with, man, I actually think that I'm, I'm more like them than I'd like to acknowledge. In fact, in a recent survey um, by USA Today, here's what it said. It said, most Americans, regardless of party affiliation, support proposals of these things to raise the minimum wage, to make childcare more affordable, and provide anti-discrimination policies that would help their communities build a strong economy that gives everyone the chance to succeed. So listen to that. Regardless of their party affiliation, these are the things that most people today believe. So here's the translation. Most of us want the same things. We just can't agree on how to get there. And that's okay. And we'll figure that out. And that's the journey that we're on. We're seeking the welfare of our city. And so we're gonna, we're gonna vote towards God's kingdom no matter what comes up. But in the end, what you need to know, those people that you think are evil, those people that you might even hate right now, might be the kind of people that are a lot like you or a lot like your family. Maybe they're after the same thing that you're after. They just think that there's a different way to get there. And it may be wrong. Don't get me wrong. Like this is, there, there is a right and wrong. So not everything is relative. But understand that you may have way more in common with those you disagree with than actually what divides you. You may be more alike than you'd like to realize. So back to 2 Corinthians 5. Paul's going to explain, again, what the church exists to do in times of cultural hatred and division. Verse 16, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. So, again, our relationship with Jesus, what it does, here's what it does. It gives us a completely new way of seeing other people. 
It, it gives us a completely new way of seeing the people in the world. And he talks about regarding them according to the flesh. Again, that's just to put people in sort of categories, right? Like, oh, they're Republican, they're Democrat, they're white or black or brown or Christian or non-Christian or left or right or liberal or conservative or rich or poor or whatever. That's looking at people from the outside, looking at people according to the flesh. Or that person, they, they said this to me, they did this to me, they act this way, they post these things on Facebook. That's to see somebody according to the flesh. You see, there's two ways to see people. You can either see people through the lens of their humanity or you can see them through the lens of the cross. And that's what Paul's trying to say. And our hatred is simply a lack of vision for people. It's our inability to see beyond uh, what they've done or what category they sit, they sit in. Our hatred is simply a lack of vision for those people. And so we want to be the kind of people that can see beyond those things. For God so loved the world. How could God love a broken and dying world that hated him, that wanted nothing to do with him, only if he had a vision for who they are and what they might become? And so we want to be those kind of people uh, in our culture, we'd call that seeing the good in people. And we just want to be the kind of people that see that no matter what somebody believes or how they vote, they still bear God's image. They are the Imago Dei. They actually bear the image of God. And so that gives them intrinsic and infinite value. And so we want to start to see the people in our life, not just for who they are, not just for how they voted, but for God's vision for them. What if that, that crazy uncle that you just like, man, I can't, I can't even talk to him anymore around the, the, the kitchen table because of, it always goes to politics. I want you to start to see that person through the lens of the cross as somebody who God actually gave his life for in the person of Jesus. As you start to see that and you start to see the, the image of God on that person, you start to see value in them. And then maybe you'll want to care for them and serve them the way that God cared for and served you. He goes on, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Praise God for that, right? I mean, God is actually making all things new, right? And so we want to see people through the lens of this new kingdom of God that God is establishing in the world. And I want you to know this. This starts with how you see yourself. You will never see God through the lens or see people through the lens of the kingdom or through the lens of the cross if you can't first see yourself that way. So here's what I've learned as I've kind of watched people over the years is that the most judgmental people in the room always feel the most judged. They're the kind of people that, man, they, they just can't be around the church or even maybe you don't want to pray because you just feel so judged for, for where you've been or what you've done or, or even what you believe, Right? And so in your judgment, in our judgment, what we do is we judge others. And that's just how it almost always works is that the most judgmental people in the room always feel the most judged. You see, you can't possibly be judgmental when you see yourself the way that Jesus sees you as a new creation. Somebody where the old is gone. Like you don't deserve it. You actually said that years ago. You actually did that years ago. But through the work and the power of the cross, like that's, it's gone. When you see yourself that way and then you, you look at others through the lens of that same cross that saved you, you just can't help but love people. And, and the farthest thing from your mind is to judge them for their sin because you are so acutely aware of your own. He continues on verse 18. All this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So there's what you're here to do. Your job is the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Praise God that God doesn't count all that we did against us. Otherwise, who could stand before God? None of us, right? And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, right? So that's our job. That's our role. We have the the ministry and the message of reconciliation to the world. If you're wondering, why do I exist today? What am I supposed to be doing during this pandemic? pandemic? Like, what, what what am I supposed to do? What's my vision for life? God's vision for you is to take hold of the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation just means to change from the inside out. And so that's our our ministry is to allow God through Christ to change our world from the inside out. That we stand in the gap for the people around us and introduce them to Jesus. Here's what you need to know about reconciliation though is reconciliation demands justice. It demands justice. You see, we're not standing up here. I'm not preaching, hey, just act like we're all the same. Sit in a circle around a bonfire. Sing kumbaya together. Let's just act like there's no differences. That's not what God did for us. No, he didn't come to the world and and die to actually just just act like we never sinned or to, to make out like there's no problem between us and him. No, he actually came to the world and died to to heal what was broken between us and him, to to take our sin upon himself and to die a sinner's death. That's what Jesus did to reconcile us to himself. Reconciliation demands justice. In other words, God didn't just overlook your sin. He literally drank it in upon the cross so that we might be united with him. So what's that mean? That means we get to do the same thing for others. We get to, we get to deal with other people's sin as much as God deals with our sin. We get around it. Sometimes we are victims to it. But we're here to reconcile people to God. I love that. The ministry of reconciliation. Here's how I think maybe, you know, I learned to, to, to read this verse growing up and I think maybe I've, I've read it wrong. And it's something like this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of condemnation. That's a lot easier, isn't it? Okay, God, you saved me, you healed me and now my ministry is of condemnation toward the world. Of course not. It's not what God is asking us to do. He's asking us to reconcile the world to himself. This means a completely different operating system and a completely different reason that we're leaning into these relationships. I mean, it is so easy just to try to be right. And I just want you to know, much of what you believe might be right. But can I just say that the church has been so set on being right and making a point that we've missed an opportunity to make a difference. You can't always make a point and make a difference at the same time. Sometimes you have to give up making a point so that you can make a difference. Uh, Every parent knows this, right? So you know some things that your kids don't know. And one thing about kids is they always think they're right. And they're not, right? And so you spend this time trying to help them understand what's right. But here's what I know, and I'm learning this. I just have some young kids, but I'm learning that if, if I win the argument, but I don't win their hearts, that I haven't won at all. Think about that. You can win the argument and not win somebody's heart and not win at all. Because in the end, we want to win people's hearts, not just to us, 
but ultimately to Jesus. That means sometimes you don't have to make the point. (laughs) Sometimes you don't have to fight for the truth. You need to be the kind of person that's fighting for the hearts and the souls of the lost and let God contend for the truth. And as far as I'm concerned, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And and the truth stands pretty well on its own. And, And we can get to that at some point, but not before we fight for the hearts of the people that we love. And so make sure that we're not being the kind of people that make a point, but never make a difference. That just means we need to lean in. It means that we need to build some new relationships. It means that we need to be willing to get messy and, and sometimes be victim to some of the things that people believe. Instead of proving yourself right, this is when you set yourself willingly in the pathway of someone else's sin in order to win them to Christ. That's what it means to have the ministry of reconciliation. To go like, hey, just like Jesus, I'm going to put myself in the pathway of your sin. It's going to get all over me. Just like my sin was all over Jesus the day that he went to the cross. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some lumps for it, right? I might be criticized for it, but ultimately I'm going to do this because I want to win your heart to Jesus. This is not popular. This is not easy. And this means you have to be intentional, right? You actually have to care, right? One thing COVID has done, and I just want you to hear this today, hear this. COVID has made us very indifferent to the needs of others because we've been so focused on the needs of ourselves. And so, church, I'm calling this out of you. Stop being indifferent. Lean into the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So, therefore, in all of that, having said all that we just said, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through who? Us. So God makes his appeal. God communicates the need for a savior and in the kingdom that's coming through us, through his church, through the body that he has here. What a beautiful, shocking, and intimidating calling that we have on ourselves. Ambassadors. I don't know if you know what that is. It's, an ambassador is basically a representative, right? Uh, in fact, in the American government, we have something called the House of Representatives, right? And their, their whole job is to represent the people, I mean, imagine some crazy system. This would never happen. I'm sure this would never happen. But imagine ambassadors or representatives that, that worked for, you know, our government that were so caught up in, like, the, the, the political system and the battle and the, the bureaucracy that they didn't actually represent the people. Imagine that. would be crazy. That would never happen, though. So imagine a people that's called God's body that's so caught up in religious activity and the duties of the church that they don't actually represent God. See, Paul's saying, hey, don't do that. You are God's body. You're his bride. You're his people, his ambassadors to the world with the ministry of reconciliation. And how's God going to appeal to the world to share the truth with them? Through you. If your palms aren't sweating a little bit, you're not listening. If your heart rate's not going up a little bit, you are not listening. This should freak you out, and yet you should be filled with a sense of of authority given to you by God and, and excitement that we get to be part of sharing God's love with the world. You see, ultimately, we were forgiven by Christ. We're made new by Jesus. If you're a believer, 
Or if you're not, I want to invite you into this. We're made new through the blood of Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. We've been forgiven. And it's like our sin never happened. The Bible says it's, it's as far as the east is from the west. And so the only way for you to walk into the ministry of reconciliation is to let go of the grudge. It's to begin to forgive like God first forgave you. You see, you can't hold on to the cross and your grudge at the same time. You can't. You can't do both. You simply cannot hold on to the cross, the the forgiveness of Jesus for yourself and not forgive others for the things they believe or the things that they do that, that create division between you and them. Like you can't do both at the same time. You see, the cross is powerful. And it's more than just a bridge to get us to God. It's a sledgehammer that breaks down the walls of hostility between us and others. Think about that. The cross is powerful. It's what unifies people who should not be unified by the world's standards. It's what brings us together. I want to close with this quick story. I've been into World War I and World War II history lately, I'm watching all of the Netflix documentaries. But I ran across this really famous moment uh, that happened in 1914 called the Christmas Truce. The Christmas Truce. We're going to put a picture up of that moment. But on this morning, thousands of British, Belgian, and French soldiers put down their rifles, stepped out of their trenches, and spent the day talking, laughing, and telling stories with their German enemies along the Western Front. Think about this. On a Christmas day, a cold, snowy day, they chose to lay down their arms. Um, estimates are that uh, over 100,000 people participated in the Christmas truce. Isn't that amazing? Here's what I read this week. Graham William describes this moment. He says, First the Germans would sing one of their carols, and then we would sing one of ours. Until we started up, O come all ye faithful, the Germans immediately joined in singing the same hymn to the Latin words, Adeste Fidelis. And I thought, well... This is really a most extraordinary thing. Two nations, both singing the same carol in the middle of a war. Think about that moment. That's a beautiful moment. It's incredible. But here's what we know historically is that within hours, the shots started again. The firing began in just a few days. Both sides were, were continuing to kill one another. I mean, the, a truce is, it's a temporary thing, Right? It's a momentary thing. And I just want you to know, apart from Jesus, a truce is all we have to offer. The best we can do is say, hey, let's just lay down our arms for a little bit. We'll fight again later. But, you know, let's just try to all get along in this moment. Jesus does something so much better. He doesn't just bring a truce. He brings peace to the world. And that's what we get to experience for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not just a truce. God doesn't go, hey, I'm going to just relent from my judgment for a short time, but one day you will be judged for all that you've done. No, God says, hey, I bring you peace in the name of Jesus. And so we as God's church, we get to do the very same thing for the world around us. And so I just want to ask you, do you feel peace right now? Most of us would say no. If you don't feel peace, I want to invite you to believe what Jesus has done. He's inviting you into this beautiful relationship. The gospel, the good news is that the old has gone, the new has come, and now you have peace between you and God. The dividing wall of hostility between you and your father has been torn down, and you are made pure and right and holy in the eyes of God. So believe that today, and you will walk into the family of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your grace. 
None of us deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. And God, because of who we are and where we've been and what we believe and the things that we say and the things that we, that we do, God, there should be a wall between us and you. There should be no peace between us and you. And so, God, we know that the best religious activity and, God, the, the best lifestyle and, and changing our ways will, will not fix what's wrong between us and you. But, God, it took you sending your son with the ministry of reconciliation to come to the earth, to, to die, to take our sins upon himself, to put himself directly in the pathway of our evil and our unrighteousness and to drink that in upon himself on the cross. God, we know through that one moment in human history, you brought together and you unified what was fractured between you and humanity. So God, I want to pray for the person here today who has never received that, that today could be the day they step from darkness into light. They step from someone of anxiety and turmoil and frustration with themselves and the world and into this relationship with you and they experience peace for the first time. May we as a church take hold of the ministry of reconciliation to the world around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.